Dearly beloved, we've gathered tonight in the presence of God and in the sight of all these witnesses to unite Joshua Wheeler and Susanna Nolan in the sacred covenant of marriage. On behalf of the Nolan family and the Wheeler family, we welcome you all tonight. We thank you for being here. I know some of y'all have come from a long ways. And I'd like to extend a special thanks to our wonderful church community, which contributes so bountifully with time and substance to make events like this wedding so very special. Without all of you, we simply couldn't do it. I'd like to read a few short verses Paul wrote in his epistle to the church at Philippi. He had founded that church around a dozen years before through a brilliant evangelistic strategy. He got thrown in jail. But as Luke records in Acts, at midnight, locked in chains in that damp jail, after having been whipped with many stripes, Paul and Silas started singing songs and praising God. This wasn't a mere attempt at positive thinking, such as you see promoted on motivational posters you see in car salesman cubicles, you know, perseverance, diligence, you know, courage. Rather, Paul possessed something special, a unique perspective that allowed praise to arise even locked in a dungeon. So years later, he would write back to the church in his epistle to the Philippians, telling them, I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and suffer need. I can do all things who, through Christ who strengthens me. This verse came to me just after y'all asked me to officiate your wedding. So I quickly called you and said, amen, I'll do it. Amen. First, I was struck at how this verse, speaking of being full and being hungry, abounding or abased, or having much or suffering need, so closely parallels the wedding vows you both will take today with its enduring commitment to faithfulness through better or worse, richer or poor, in sickness or in health. This all became much more poignant just two weeks after you'd asked me to do the wedding when the totally unexpected news came, Susanna, of your diagnosis of an aggressive cancer. We'd enjoyed two weeks of seemingly nonstop laughter from your engagement, and now unavoidably, we had to face the other side. And so it all became even more important to discover how Paul could rejoice, as he put it, in whatever state I am. The second point in this verse that arrested my attention was Paul's use of a peculiar word. In fact, a Greek word found nowhere else in Scripture. When Paul wrote, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and suffer need, he used a very special Greek word for learned. It's mueo, which in Koine Greek had achieved an almost technical status, being most frequently used in Greek literature for being initiated into the secrets 
of the mystery pagan religion so common during that era. Because of the uniqueness of the word mueo, more recent translations, such as the New American Standard, translate the verse, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry. Or the New International Version rendering the verse, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. I think Paul, though obviously not an adherent of those pagan rites, didn't want his readers to think that what he had learned was some bit of just natural knowledge like learning a new language or learning algebra. So he chose this word to convey that what had enabled him to be content and endure with joy, whatever his circumstances were, was in fact a new context into which he had been initiated. Not into pagan mystery religions, but rather, as he wrote to the Colossians, into this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And not just a mystery of Christ in us, but also us in Christ, in his body. As he told the Ephesians, this is a great mystery, but I could speak concerning Christ in the church. So we see why Paul ended these verses in Philippians, where he spoke of learning the secret, learning the secret of faithful endurance, regardless of circumstance, with the declaration, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So what is this secret? It's important to understand that what Paul refers to isn't a secret in the sense that no one wants to reveal it or speak about it, the sort of secret you just whisper in someone's ear. Rather, it's a secret simply because many people don't want to hear it. It's a secret only in that self-centered people simply don't get it. I'm going to let you in on the secret, especially since you're embarking on a journey together into an unknown future. In a nutshell, a big part of the secret is it's not about you. <laughs> your marriage isn't about your dreams or fantasies or wants or desires being fulfilled. Your marriage needs to be completely shaped by the secret of the cross. Not just in the sense so many might embrace that is what Jesus' cross can do for us, but shaped by the cross in the sense Jesus conveyed when he said, you must deny yourself and pick up your cross daily. Your marriage is the full opportunity to serve the other. Thus, as is so important to understand on this happy day, marriages today often fail simply when a spouse no longer feels it is fulfilling to him or herself. But these failures occur among couples who never got in on the secret that a real marriage was never supposed to be founded on what's in it for me, but upon the desire to lay down one's life for the other. This epistle to the Philippians from which we're quoting with Paul begins with Paul, once again in prison, but this time in Rome. He writes a peculiarly worded bit of advice toward the end of the first chapter. He told the Philippians of his own severe trials and then admonished them 
Do not in any way be terrified by your adversaries. For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. I said it was a peculiarly worded bit of advice because the word he connects with suffering when he says it has been granted to you is charismai, a word with totally positive connotations. One lexicon renders the word to do something pleasant or agreeable to one, to do a favor to. So, in a seeming paradox, one English translation now renders the verse, it has been graciously given to you the privilege to suffer in his stead. Can this verse even be understood outside of grasping the secret? Can you consider it a gracious gift, a privilege to care for one another in sickness, weakness, and hardships? Ask Sister Regina, ask Sister Kay, ask the brothers who cared round the clock for Brother Robert. They will all tell you of the discovery of a secret love, a love, Paul says in Corinthians, that does not seek its own. The secret is having our eyes opened and our hearts committed to a cause bigger than ourselves. And in regard to marriage, it is not what it will bring to me, but what I can give to the greater whole. In the words of the song they just sung, the secret is not to see yourself as a single thread, even if its color brightly shines, but to see your life through heaven's eyes as a part of his grand design. In closing, I'd like to bring attention to something Brother Blair shared towards the end of our 40th anniversary video. He spoke about what life in God truly entails. I believe you can remember that he emphasized that life would be full of genuine struggle. He cautioned that God wasn't just wanting to be present in our minds as perhaps a big softy, I like the way he put that. Something to merely pacify our fears, some invisible shield insulating us from reality and allowing us to imagine that danger, disappointment, and tragic sickness simply don't exist. Rather than a shield from the struggles of life, our Lord has instead desired to open the doors of our hearts to experience and possess a love, a powerful, unyielding love. A love, Paul says, that bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. In short, as the banner behind us proclaims, God won't insulate us from trouble, but he will give us a love that never fails. It was a love that could endure the agony and shame on a cross, not for his sake, but for ours. This type of love was Paul's secret possession. You are vowing today to give yourself to such a love, and you will discover it will not fail. Josh, you found a few places in your life where you could have given up. 
You've made some errors in judgment in the past, just like we all have. But one thing I can confidently say about you, you have never even considered running away from your commitment at baptism. But you have allowed perseverance to produce character. And therefore, now the greater will of God is unfolding. I charge you now with the absolute confidence that you will surely do it. You be faithful to the commitment you make today, even unto death. And I love you. Amen. Susanna, the only place in the New Testament, I'm sure you already know this, where your name appears is in Luke 8 and 3, where it identifies by name Susanna as being among a very small handful of women who provided for Jesus out of their own substance as he moved about ministering to those in need. Susanna, I can say from experience, you are aptly named. For you ask most anybody in our fellowship about you, and what has stood out to them has been your eager willingness over your entire adult life to put aside your own interests and to serve others instead. Most notably, when over these last few years or months, you seemingly put your whole future on hold just to take care of your grandfather until his victorious death. But though others might not have understood, you'd caught a glimpse of the secret and the peace of God could rule in your heart. You are both well aware that in spite of some recent very encouraging news, there's a significant possibility your life together may be altered by sickness in ways that can be very demanding. You're walking into this marriage with eyes wide open. But also know you will face other demanding circumstances. Unlike previous generations in this country, you are committing to the form of marriage that is no longer so widely respected or valued. In fact, the day is approaching when true binding covenant will be rejected as a form of evil repression. It's upon us. You will be considered by many as having foolishly given up your rights, your freedom, and your autonomy.